You're listening to Were You Still Talking? They pump out your blood and they pump in a, a new batch of blood and all of it is the blood of children. All the big stars are going to be on TV now. I mean, it's just the way it's going. Your role, I think, will be played by Brad Pitt. What'd you wear? Uh, I wore my loincloth wrapped around my feet. Are you going by John today? And that's absolutely true. You feel it in every cell in your body. Yeah, you can, you can bend the truth and bend the visualizations no matter what your political affiliation. You could have an alpaca. My a, a girlfriend's daughter recently got married and they had llamas or alpacas at the wedding. A recording room. They recorded uh, a couple songs in the kitchen of Rumbo. So, wait, you, you, you microdosed before this, right? What? Hey, welcome back. This is you. Were you still talking? And this is Joel Albrecht once again. And uh, I'm still on the Zoom, although I hope to have people back in the studio very soon. I actually could do it now. I just haven't found anyone yet in Eugene, but I will keep looking. Um, and today in my studio, I have um, lost. Oh, I see what I did. I made ridiculous notes without his name. Evan Stern. That's it, right? Yes, I have Evan Stern, who is also a podcaster. He is right now uh, somewhere in New York, Harlem, I believe it is, but he is from Austin, Texas, and has a pretty amazing podcast that he started uh, that is a mixture of things. It's a mixture of history and being on the road and checking out honky-tonks, which I'm going to ask him, what the heck is a honky-tonk? Hey, uh, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Joel, thank you so much for having me. You bet. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I, you know, I like the uh, the podcast. It's very. It seems very professional. Um, before I get, well, first of all, um, tell people a little bit about about your podcast, about what you know, what that is. Absolutely. So I have a, a podcast called Vanishing Postcards that just premiered uh, back in April. It's off to a really good start. Digital Trends has already named it one of the best podcasts of 2021, and it's been getting a lot of good press. Uh, basically, the idea behind the show, it, Vanishing Postcards is the result of a 1,500-mile road trip I took across my home state of Texas. And the idea of the show is basically listeners get to follow me on a journey exploring the hidden dives, traditions, and frequently threatened histories you'll discover when you exit the interstate. Uh, that's the show in a nutshell. Um, but we go to a lot of cool places, um, not just honky-tonks. We go to dance halls, barbecue joints. Um, later in the season, we'll take a ghost tour. Uh, and it really is, it, it's, it, it's produced in documentary style. So I work really hard to give listeners a truly immersive experience. So you know, one of the great compliments I've received is that uh, they, they really feel like they're sitting on a bar stool next to me on, on all the places that we go to. Oh, that's awesome. That, yeah, that's, that's a really good part about the show. And um, how do you, uh, how do you do, is it all you? Do you do all, are, are you the, the head, everybody, or do you have a crew of, of people it is Along all with. me. It is, it is all me. I am a one-man band. I, I am the uh, writer, producer, editor, name it. 
Um, but um, I, I like to think that uh, you could fool people into thinking that there is a crew of people behind me if you were to actually listen to it. Um, basically, I, I can tell you that I am totally self-taught. Um, you know, I mean, I think probably like a year and a half ago, I really didn't know much of anything about editing or, or anything, but I just, I, I'm one of those people who just absolutely fell in love with the medium of audio storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I know what I like in a podcast. And I discovered early on that in order to put together the kind of show that I wanted to do, I really needed to, to teach myself how to do it all. Um, it was just going to be easier to, to do it that way. Yeah, definitely. Easier or harder, depending on how you look at it. Because I have, I already had, I already knew how to edit and do audio stuff. Um, and some of the podcasts I like are, are doing what I'm doing, which are, you know, the long form podcasts. But I also love uh, edited stories, you know, kind of documentary style podcasts. Uh, it just seems like so much work. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it it, it it's a ton of work. It, it absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's the kind of narrative that that I in, enjoy doing. I, I really do. And I think I interview people probably a bit differently than than you might. I mean, when I sit down and I listen to a, a good interviewer like Terry Gross, for example, mm -hmm. um, there tends to be terrific architecture to the conversations. Um, I'm really more interested in kind of asking people questions that are just going to elicit stories. And it doesn't really matter what kind of order those stories, you know, happen in. And what happens is, is I'll listen to the footage that I've captured and I'll figure out what the broader story is in post-production is kind of how I put things together there. Oh, that's great. I, that's, uh, yeah, I really like hearing that idea because so you you go back after you've done the interview and kind of uh, piece it together in a, in a way that m might make more sense or that might be more entertaining for people. Absolutely. That, or, you know, I mean, I'm, I might talk to someone for, for an hour, mm -hmm. um, but it very well, there just might be a few nuggets in that conversation that, uh, you know, I actually feel are, you know, are, are the important gems that you want to cover. And so it's really kind of about mining conversations for those those gems that we get. And I like to focus and keep the narrative pretty centered. Yeah, I'm actually listening to a podcast that does that extremely well. I, I think he starts out with a story and then he does a lot of research to develop that idea. Um, but uh, how did you come up with the idea? Like, were you... On a road trip, and you, or did you do a lot of road trips? And and you know, most states you can't go fifteen hundred miles and still be in the state. That's another amazing thing about Texas. But yeah, what what where'd you come up with that with the idea? Well, it was an evolution. Uh, it, it wasn't as if I was struck by inspiration and in some kind of moment I can tell you about. But what it is is, as I said just a few minutes ago. Uh, I am one of those people who absolutely fell in love with audio storytelling over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I started listening. I think the gateway drug for me was the moth. Uh, you know, you just listen to people get up and tell these personal stories without notes. And then you start listening to other programs like This American Life. Uh, you must remember this. That's a great um, historical program about classic Hollywood. There's another really good one uh, called Cocaine and Rhinestones. It's all about the history of country music. Um, I love the, the Kitchen Sisters, for example. And um, around the same time that this was 
you know, that, that, that I was going down this rabbit hole, listening to podcasts while I was cooking and, you know, doing tasks around the house. Um, you know, I, I'm guilty as falling down the YouTube rabbit hole as just about anyone else. And, and around this time, YouTube kept suggesting travel videos for me to watch. And um, I'd, I'd watch them and I would rarely see the way that I liked to travel reflected in them. Um, very rarely did I find these videos were truly about the places these people were visiting. It was much more about kind of look at me and how cute I am in this place. Well, that's and, true. <laughs> and, um, and I initially, uh, I, I've often joked that for years, I've wanted to use the words summer and winter as verbs. Um, I, I love New York, but I detest the winters here. I have never made peace with them. And um, being immersed in the gig economy, um, I've over, over the past number of years, well, pre-COVID, um, I was able to build a life so that I would leave um, the city for a while in January, February to get a bit of a break from the cold. And I would often go to Mexico. Um, I grew up traveling all over Mexico, and I initially had an idea where I thought it would be interesting um, to put together a podcast that would be a musical travelogue of Mexico. Basically, the idea would be um, I'd use music as a portal to exploring the cultural regional histories of Mexico. You know, you do a piece on harp in Veracruz or the uh, corridos that you'll find in Norteño music in Monterey near the border. Um, you do the study the Cajoneada tradition in Guanajuato. And I went so far as to attempt to take a stab at putting together a pilot episode um, in the city of Merida in the Yucatan, which is famous for guitar trios called trovas. And it's one thing to be writing in a vacuum where you think, oh man, this is just going to be awesome. <laughs> um, you're, you're interviewing people, you're working with an editor, you're like, this is going to be sweet. And then you sit down and listen to what you have produced and you realized, oh my goodness, I have missed the mark just terribly here. Um, it was a perfect example of um, show, don't tell. Um, you know, for instance, I talked all about, yeah, speaking of music, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm in New York. So, you know, you're going to hear like car, car radios are really big in my neighborhood. You're hearing some music right now. So I apologize for the interference. Um, but it was, um, you know, I, I talked all about the city of Merida, um, but you didn't really feel the city of Merida in listening to it. Um, I also discovered that um, I, I am a Spanish speaker. I'm not fluent. I am proficient. And so it, it is challenging to establish that level of rapport with someone where they really cut loose and start telling the good stories. Um, in addition to which the human voice has such great terrific shade, color, and nuance to it that if you have an actor come in to, to dub over them in English, you're going to lose a lot of that. And around this same time, I had signed up to take a three-day uh, course in audio at NYU where basically um, I was given like an hour and a half to hit the streets, collect some footage, come back and piece together a story out of that. Um, and what I did in that short day, that short window that I had to put something together, I realized had so much more verve and energy to it than what I had spent months working on. And I realized that before tackling a project as ambitious as that, I really needed to learn more about audio production and editing, all of that. And so in that moment, I said to myself, well, might not be as exotic as Mexico, but if there's one thing I know, 
I'm from Texas. Texas people love to talk. They tell great stories. And it also is warmer in Texas in January than New York. So I decided to go to, so I decided to go to shift gears, go to Texas and um, figured I'd start collecting some oral histories and see what I could piece together out of that. Um, But it very quickly uh, became evident to me that that was the project that I really needed to focus on and vanishing postcards um, started to come together pretty quickly. Basically, I looked at what I was doing. I realized that each episode was a snapshot of a different place. What is that? That's a postcard. And the common thread I found was that all of these places were representative of broader cultural histories that you know might be on their way out. You don't know how much longer a lot of these places um, are going to be left. And so that's how the title Vanishing Postcards came together. Wow, that's great. Um, a couple of things about that story I'm, I was a little upset about. One, that sounded like an amazing series, the Mexico series. It's like, okay, maybe you should do that next. Maybe, oh, I very well, maybe you know, you're going to produce, it, you're still going to do that, right? It's certainly yeah. not off the, I mean, I mean, it's certainly yep. that is something that I can pursue in the future. Absolutely. That's I good, because that sounds like a... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it, it's a great idea. It's also great that you were able to self-reflect and say, that's not it. That's that's uh, that's awesome. Because I know that's hard for most of us to do. That's, that's very difficult. And also, when I saw the name Vanishing Postcards, I thought, oh, this is cool. He's going to do a story about postcards. I'm like, where they came from? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first to say that. <laughs> I thought so. But I also, you know, the story about uh, really vanishing places and, and the idea of traveling and going off the road, I've always liked that. When I, I used to travel a lot by car, I lived in LA and I would come up here to visit and then I would travel around the Southwest. And it, it's always fun to see what, you know, what is going on wherever the heck you are. Sometimes it's not great to see. Sometimes it's a little creepy. But most of the time, most of the time, it's a good experience and it's it's really exciting and it's really fun. Uh, so I really, I really love the idea and it seems like a better way uh, to get to know, you know, the history of these um, the honky-tonks. Is that the right term? Well, yes. Yeah, so that's, I mean, one, um, you know, I, I went to one honky tonk in, in the series. Uh, basically, oh, okay. it was kind of like each, each each episode kind of, I would say, okay, well, I covered this. What do I need to cover next? And so mm-hmm. the, the very first episode that I did um, centered on a dive bar in Austin called the Dry Creek Cafe. It was opened in 1953. At the time that I went there, um, the bartender that was working was the was only the third bartender to work there since 1953. Wow. Um, and wow. it was a bar where pe- that used to cater to cedar choppers, which is kind of a forgotten subculture in Central Texas. I mean, these it was kind of like this Appalachian subculture that migrated to Central Texas to chop down the cedar trees for post. Um, and so I, I figured, okay, well, I've done a dive bar. Um, what else can I do? What is unique around here? And I thought, well, let me find a dance hall. And Mm -hmm. so after that, I went to a a dance hall that I'd never been to before called Sefshik Hall, um, which is in a teeny community called Seton, which is a community of maybe 40 people. But the place comes alive on Sundays when um, couples and families gather at this incredible, beautiful 
hall to dance. Um, it's the oldest continuously operating family-run dance hall in the state. Uh, you go there, a lot of the um, old people who go there to dance, uh, you'll, you'll still hear them conversing in Czech amongst themselves. Um, so it was a remarkable place. And I thought, okay, well, I did a dance hall. What is the difference between a dance hall and a honky-tonk? And I figured, well, let me go find a honky-tonk. And um, when, when people ask me what the difference is between a dance hall and a honky-tonk, I say, well, a dance hall, that's where you take your family. A honky-tonk, that's where you take your date. Um, <laughs> okay. Honky-tonks are a, a, big lot, difference. W- lot wilder, uh, you know, more drinking happens. You know, you, mm-hmm. you might see a bar fight <laughs> happen at a honky-tonk, but that's part of what the charm and, and experience is. Um, and I was very fortunate. I started, um, I, I began work on this project um, back in January, February of 2020. So the early episodes that you will hear in the series um, were done pre-COVID. Um, so it was very much um, a different world. Um, and COVID certainly changed a lot of um, what I could do with the series. It, it um, I had to initially, with a lot of the places I go in the series, I was really just kind of walking into these places unannounced with a microphone um, where I would just start talking to people. Um, really, the first several places I went to, they had no idea I was going to show up. Um, and, you know, considering the pandemic for safety precautions, I mean, that changed everything. Um, and I also, you know, so many of the places I initially was going to, you know, your bars, dance halls, honky tonks, I mean, they, they weren't in operation. So I had to think uh, creatively and outside the box, the kind of places that I could visit. But um, the I, I don't believe that the quality suffered. In fact, I think in many ways it actually improved um, because it forced me to do much more in the way of uh, pre-reporting and research. And as a result, um, there's just a great diversity of places that we visit in the series because of that. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I, yeah, I didn't really realize that you would just show up. Uh, I, I just assumed that, you know, you would talk to somebody before going there. That's, um, that's pretty awesome that you just show up and start <laughs> talking to people and that people, I mean, people will talk to you. That's great. Absolutely. Well, I did find that people were just so um, interested and eager to, to share their stories. I mean, there definitely were a few no's, but for the most part, um, I found that people were grateful uh, to see that someone had taken an interest. And for the most part, I found that I was always much more nervous asking the questions than they were answering them. Uh, that's really, I, I find that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely relate to that. I, I somehow get nervous uh, asking people to be on the show and and uh, you know and start asking them questions. That that's why it's good to have folks like yourself who answer most of the questions before I ask them because um, I had several things I wanted to ask you about, but you've already covered it. You've already completely covered it. Um. So what is a what have you learned from making this this show? Like from going to these places, talking to these people, uh, has it has it uh, brought up stuff about yourself that you've that you really didn't know before, or learned some lessons? Well, I mean, w- what I will say is that um, I mean, as I kind of said, I mean, it, it wasn't long ago. I, I th- this is all so new to me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember the first time, you know, someone started talking through editing and whatnot. I thought, oh, I'm going to have to find someone else to do that. 
And then I realized very quickly, no, because of what my vision is for this show, I have to do that. Um, each e- each episode is a complete leap of faith, and and you know I really am diving into the unknown with with each episode in in many ways. But um, it it really and truly is a terrific accomplishment. So um, and and when I do look at my body of work, I I do believe in many ways this probably is the the best uh, project I have produced. Um, so in, in terms of myself. Um, I mean that just that 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 I have been able to do this is is something that I do take great pride in. Um, but in terms of other people, like I said, um, I I do find that people are just kind of eager to be heard, and mm-hmm. that they they are eager to not necessarily talk about themselves, but the, but they love talking about what they do, and I do think. I, I don't think that anything about what we've been through over the past five, six years at this point should be normalized at all. I, I don't. Um, but this, I, I do believe that culture is one of, considering how polarized and divided our nation and society is right now in this moment, culture is one of those rare areas of agreement um, where people can have a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that sharing stories and listening to one another does engender empathy. And, you know, to, to go further with that, I mean, art and culture really is everywhere. Um, you know, I think when, when people think of art and culture, they think immediately of palaces of civilization, like the Met in New York or the Louvre in Paris or the Prado in Madrid. Um, but some of the best art and culture comes from places that are completely under the radar. You know, uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi gave us the blues. Uh, Detroit gave us Motown. Um, and it, 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 it really is worth getting off the beaten path and, you know, just kind of looking in places that people often ignore because you just never know what you're going to discover in these places. Yeah, that's really true. That's that's really true. Agree 100% with that. It's also great that you were able to keep going um during this this crazy last year that we've had. You know, I think a lot of people would have just said, "Oh, that's it. I'm going to have to, you know, wait a year or something." So, it's, well, it it, you know, it 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 that that is part of the story. I mean, I think that this this show is absolutely a product of the pandemic. Um what happened for me is I you know, I, I was in Texas for a bit, January, February, I came back to New York and um, I left the city again on March 8th for what was to have been a 10 day family vacation to Mexico. Um, at the time I left, I think there were maybe like 20 reported cases in, in New York. Um, and a few days later, it became evident that this was going to be, a, this was going to be a pretty big situation. And that it probably wasn't going to be a bad idea for me to make a, a detour to Texas on the way back for, for a little while. Mm-hmm. And basically that turned into over a year. Um, wow. Now, during that time, um, the series was initially, uh, through Serendipity, the series was initially picked up by a network um, and they requested uh, 16 episodes. Um, and I set about um, fulfilling that um, order. Um, I completed 15. So season one has has 15 episodes all over the state. 
Um, that deal ultimately, due to uh, factors beyond any of our control, um, you know, ended up falling falling apart. Um, but I was still it, I was still incredibly grateful because it it gave me something to do and a place to put my energy um, throughout the pandemic. You know, being at my age, I certainly never saw myself back home with my parents for such an extended period of time. Wow, um, yeah. But but having a project of this nature gave me something to to focus on. And uh, I was indeed grateful that I was able to continue working on it throughout the very strange year we've just had. Yeah, that was that was really really lucky. I mean, it, yeah. But a lot a lot of people have found that have kind of found new creative outlets. Why they've been um, you know forced into this bizarre world of ours at the moment, uh, which is finally. Seems to be coming to an end. We're, soon we will be able to go a lot of places um, that we couldn't go for a, a year. Um, Absolutely. Including the Louvre. And a couple of those places <laughs> you mentioned are, fi- are just reopening, um, if you have a card, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But um, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. I, I had the same experience. I was about to get on a plane uh, to go on a vacation. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's like, I don't know, should we go? And and then by a day later, it's like, nope, nobody's going anywhere. That's it. Not doing this. Not doing yeah. it. So I know some people will be curious. What did you what did you decide to use to edit? Did you get free editing programs? Did you go out and buy you know the most expensive editing tools you could get? Did you just uh, you know how did you what did you come up with to do this stuff? Or did you take classes on? No, so I, no, like I said, I took a, I took a three-day course mm-hmm. in audio production at NYU, and that was it. Um, I, I learned what equipment I needed to buy, and then I, had, I there's a terrific uh, program called Hindenburg Journalist that's not that expensive. Um, you know, I actually initially purchased just kind of like a, you know, a, a year's subscription just because I didn't know at that time if this was actually something I was going to keep going with. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like a couple hundred bucks. Um, and uh, it's if I could figure out, I, I'm certainly not a technological wizard by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but believe me, if I could figure it out, it's very user-friendly. I highly recommend it. Oh, that's good. There's probably some people out there with uh, be interested in that. There's there's so many programs. Actually, even the program I'm using now for the secondary recording has a free version, um, which is kind of cool. Pro Tools has come back to uh, a free version, which is really good for people doing podcasts if they want. But it's deep. You know, it's extremely complicated. So that's that's always something that's kind of hard. You know, some that's that can always be tricky when you're looking at at um, at a brand new program that has way basically way more stuff than most people need. So yeah, that's that's great. I was just sorry about that. I was looking at some technical stuff. And <laughs> no, pro- speaking of technology, <laughs> how appropriate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was looking for where I might need to make an edit, but it'll probably be okay. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So, um, you've done sixteen shows. I couldn't find sixteen shows, but that might have. Well, been they're they're Apple. releasing. It's it's um it's still um in it, it, as I said the the series uh, just released premiered in April, 
Mm-hmm. And um, right now, the plan is I'm releasing twice a month. So that's going to take uh, season one through October uh, is is what the plan is. So there's a lot coming down the pike. Um, we're going to be going to the border to learn all about conjunto music, which is a terrific, wonderful music art form that's indigenous to Texas. It's a quintessential American art form that's the blending of of cultures. Um, we're going to go visit some peach orchards in the Texas Hill Country. We're going to visit a bunch of country stores. We're going to visit some really weird museums. We're going to take a trip to Galveston. We're going to learn all about the uh, terrific mob history that happened there back in the 20s through the 50s. Uh, we're going to go to Fort Worth and, uh, you know, all sorts of wonderful, wonderful places. Many characters uh, left to meet over the course of this season. Oh, that's great. And so all those places, um, you you uh, contacted people there and, and did some research before you showed up? Yes. Because, yeah. After yes, after the pandemic hit, I had to I had to work harder to do that on on that end. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, which uh, weird museums? That's really intriguing. Can you give me any like what's sure? What's, yeah. So that, what's so a that weird episode, museum? Yeah. So uh, there's a museum. I, I went to three. Mm-hmm. Um, the first museum I went to is in this small town called Heiko, uh, Heiko, Texas. It's on the northern edge of the Texas Hill Country. And uh, they have a museum there called the Billy the Kid Museum, but it's not exactly what you would think um, because they believe there was a man who lived and died in Heiko, Texas, uh, by the name of Brushy Bill Roberts, who claimed that he was Billy the Kid. Everyone thinks that Billy the Kid uh, was uh, shot by Sheriff Pat Garrett in New Mexico, but this guy claims that, nope, he actually uh, survived and, and lived to tell. And uh, they uh, they absolutely believe that uh, Brushy Bill Roberts lived and died in Heiko, Texas. And so they have built this museum that is uh, completely dedicated to this idea. Um, I have my own ideas regarding this this theory, but I'll just kind of I'll just <laughs> okay. kind of leave it at that. Um, so I w- went there and um, then I also went to a, a very unique museum called the Museum of Natural and Artificial Ephemerata. Um, which is one of the few in-home museums in the nation. Um, it, the, these people run this museum out of their home in Austin. Um, ephemerata, I, I think it might be a word that they very well invented. You know, it kind of goes in line with ephemera, but, you know, they, they claim that it's just kind of anything that has a fleetingness to it. Um, and so okay. they, you know, you can go there. They they claim to have Chairman Mao's acupuncture pins. They claim to have um, a, a leaf from the tree where the Buddha attained enlightenment. They have a narwhal tooth. Um, they have, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff, objects like that. It is a true house of curiosities. Um, and uh, then after that, I went to the, the uh, National Museum of Funeral History in Houston, um, which is all dedicated to all the trappings that you'll find in a funeral. Uh, they have the, the Mercedes that led Princess Grace to her cathedral crypt. Um, they have like a, they've recreated John Paul II's tomb, uh, all sorts of objects like like that that you will find at the uh, National Museum of Funeral History. 
Uh, those those sound amazing. Those sound amazing. They um, it sounds a little bit uh, like a Sarah Sarah Vowell uh, journey. Have you ever read Sarah Vowell books? I don't believe I have. Oh, incredible author. She also played the daughter on The Incredibles, but she's not yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say the the inspira- if, if I were to compare this show to anything that has existed before. The closest comparison I would make, or at least, I, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd say that the bar that I'm working towards is Charles Kuralt. Um mm-hmm. Charles Kuralt, yeah. uh, for years, um, he was the original host for, for those who um, might not be familiar with Mr. Kuralt. He was the original host of uh, CBS Sunday Morning, and for decades he had a program um, through CBS called On the Road, where he would basically just travel the country and he would just share these stories uh, from traveling small towns all over the, the country. And um, he, um, I, I think that um, since it, there's been a great absence of that kind of reporting in today's media. Um, you know, I think that a reporter's job is, is in theory to, to investigate. Um, but Charles Kuralt wasn't interested in that. He was really just kind of interested in meeting people and enjoying the ride. And that's kind of what this show is about. Yeah, Bill Geist also did a similar show. You, you familiar with him? Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to yeah. say no, but, I, oh, but, I, okay. but I'll you be, would... I'll, it sounds like I'll be checking him out pretty soon. Yeah, he did a very similar show to that. More, um, He retired more recently um, at like 85 or something like that. <laughs> Willie Geist, his son, now has mm-hmm. uh, Sunday today. Um, but yeah, he did that. He did that same thing forever. Another really, it's great that you know about those shows. You don't seem old enough. To, <laughs> how do you know uh, about On the Road? <laughs> well, my, uh, my, my looks belie my age a little bit. Well, <laughs> we, can, we can leave it at that. I'm, I'm, old, I'm just old enough. You're have, just old enough. To I'm just that. old enough to, yeah. uh, to 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 have experienced Charles Kuralt, and for that I'm for that I'm grateful. And I wonder, can you do you know? Can you still get those on the uh, on the YouTube? You, there are those a few. Are great. It's the um, okay. the selection of what's available on YouTube is frustratingly limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have considered here in New York, they do have the Museum of Television and Radio, and I have considered taking a day to go there just to watch some old segments. Um, but he really, um, you know, in, in addition to just being uh, gifted as a traveler and interviewer, he he really was a terrific writer in the way that he wove those stories together. And um, I I greatly admire his work. And often I find myself working on this show asking, well, what would what would Charles Kuralt do? And I think the he always just had great respect for the people that he was was speaking with he and and you could sense that reverence and respect in just about everything that he did so if i ever find myself you know tempted to to comment or mm-hmm. inject my own opinions or ideas um i really find myself you know stepping back and and resisting that oh that's great that's yeah i i should uh get better at that um I'm going with the new school of oh you've got to put your opinion on everything which, which is which is something that was so great about Charles Kuralt. I agree. Uh, I mean he had such a love of the story, you know, and he was so good at telling it and and you know, yeah, and finding different places that 
no one knew about, which is what you're doing. It's it's mm-hmm. the same idea. It's really great. Yeah, and, and believe yeah. me, I have very strong opinions, and I'm not shy about sharing them. But you have to ask what best serves the story at hand. Mm-hmm. And um, in in this case, I think it's best to kind of let the the subjects. I, I want the light on the the subjects more than I want the light on myself. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm getting more and more that way with my own show, with my own little podcast. It's it's far more interesting uh, when the other person is talking. that's what i've always thought and it's true with those shows too absolutely so you have um are you already writing the next series uh the next season well i definitely have ideas and i'm doing a little bit of research um, as we speak um Mm -hmm. basically the 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 reason that this was able to come together the way that it did is because I had the time and resources to essentially uh, make it a, a full-time job uh, because that is how much work this, this takes. Um, and so I am um, working towards monetization and finding ways to get funding, but I am committed to finding a way to make a second season happen. Absolutely. And the goal is to expand the map beyond Texas. Um, I always will come back to Texas because I think that Texas is a fantastic, beautiful, rich landscape. I I could make 50 seasons in Texas alone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really do want to expand the map. And my goal for season two is I would very much like to drive the old Route 66 from Oklahoma to California and collect oral histories and stories along the way. Um, I'd love, for instance, to do a piece... um, in Bakersfield, California, where you study the the Bakersfield sound and the culture that emerged from the migration from Oklahoma to California. Um, I'd love to do a piece on Graham Parsons out in Joshua Tree. Uh, oh, there's yeah. no limit to, to what I would love to to do for, for a season that would take me further westward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and looking towards seasons ahead as well, I would love to go to Mississippi. Um, Mississippi, I like to think of as the Ireland of the United States. It's a place where the past is always invading the the present. Um, the history there is very turbulent, um, but it's also a place that has produced the most incredible canon of literary giants. The greatest American writers seem to have sprung out of Mississippi, and I would love to explore that. Yeah, that's really interesting. That, all of those sound like uh, incredible journeys that I'm sure anyone would want to go on. Now, if you do the Route 66 idea, you you do have to do it in a 63 Corvette. <laughs> that would be pretty fabulous. <laughs> it really would. No. A, con- a convert. I got to find a way. Maybe I can find Corvette to sponsor me. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's a good there idea go. to go for. Yeah. They would. <laughs> the new ones just aren't as charming, and mm-hmm. you'll miss the whole root because they're too they're so fast (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely get somebody and now that uh, you mentioned that though i'm curious do you have ideas about funding because i'm always wondering in the back of my mind if i would if uh about funding my own podcast do you have like um you know funding like oh, I should get some sponsors or maybe I'll go, you know, the subscription route or maybe I'll do it this way. Have you thought, have you thought about that much at all? Right now I am pursuing sponsorships and I have actually had uh, conversations with a, a number of um, interested parties. So mm-hmm. we, we shall see how it all evolves. Um, basically, I discovered it was, I, I came close 
Um, but it was very challenging pre-launch to to get that set up without having any uh, demographics or analytics to present. Um, so, you know, so for what I can say, though, is that growth has been steady and, you know, I've also been getting good press. Um, and so I am very hopeful that there is a path forward with that for, for season two. Um, eventually, there probably will be an option for some paid subscription uh, content uh, that would uh, be as a companion, um, you know, where people would get the chance to hear bonuses and um, certain episodes companion pieces, ad-free. Um, right now, what is most important to me, though, is is building a community behind the show and, and mm-hmm. building an audience. Um, before you can ask people for money, you have to prove that uh, you are worth paying <laughs> and listening to. So that's really where my main focus and energy and attention is at, at this moment. That's good. That's from all the uh, podcast experts, and I've had a few people who've actually done podcasting for a long time. Um, and that's always what they say. Don't worry about that until you've, you know, until your show is, just worry about making a good show. Exactly. Just worry about making a good show and putting out episodes uh, and the rest will come. The re- you know, and, the you know, and, and, and you have gotten some great press. Oh, well, thank you very yeah. much. But it's true too. You, you will often hear, I mean, people saying that you need to uh, monetize through Patreon or something like that from mm-hmm. day one. Um, but I think that that it, if you are starting out, I don't think that that is the wisest place to put your your, your attention. Um, and then, I mean, once people like, you know, if you are fortunate enough to get enough interest where you do have people hungry for paid content, what content will you have left and available once you hit that point? Um, so, you know, each each person is on their own journey, but um, mm-hmm. this is the journey that I find makes the most sense for me right now. I have a lot of those same questions when I look at things like Patreon. It, and another thing that I've looked at, and not that I might, I mean, I might do Patreon one day, I might not. It, it, it depends. <laughs> there are a lot of d- advantages to different things. But um, yeah, it becomes, uh, I, I've heard from some other people, it becomes as much a, um, a job as whatever you're doing, whether you're trying to raise money for a podcast or a movie or whatever it is. The whole Patreon thing becomes a whole nother like piece that you have to keep up with. So mm-hmm. that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't necessarily absolutely make and, and the I, most and, sense to me. Yeah. You know, and, and anyone who is interested in doing podcasting, you have to do it because you sincerely love it. You know, you you can't do it. I mean, obviously, there there are plenty of entrepreneurs and and people who who use it to. Uh, as a companion to their business, to assist with their business. There are many reasons that people um, launch podcasts. And if you want to do that to to complement whatever project you're working on, that is perfectly fine and wonderful. But you have to sincerely love the process and everything that goes into it because it is a, a great deal of work. I, I agree 100%. I mean, I actually have uh, difficulty finding people because I'm looking for people like yourself. Uh, I'm not really looking for the person who's wanting to promote their um, widget business or you know their their real estate or whatever it is. That that's not interesting to me. I'd rather hear stories and find and you know you're actually telling stories about stories, which is you know, <laughs> I'm more interested, far more interested in that. So it yeah, it's one of the reasons it. it it's starting to get difficult to find guests, but they're they're always out there. There's more and more people all the time um, 
And I, yeah, I mean, I can't agree more. You really have to love it because the, the people, I mean, I see there's two people who are very successful at it. One kind of person has a ton of money to put into it. I mean, one of the podcasts I listen to now, um, uh, now I forgot the name of it. It's, it's eluding me. Um, uh, revisionist history. This is an incredibly produced podcast. It, it has a team of people. He has some, I'm, I'm guessing 20 to 100 people working on the show. And they, you know, they put the same kind of money that a network TV, not a TV show, but that, uh, you know, uh, radio networks put into their advertising. So, of course, it's going to be popular, besides the fact that it's absolutely amazing. But the, uh, you know, there's stories, uh, other stories about people like ourselves who started out on their own and did quite well just because they really are interested in their subject and are, you know, and love the, the whole podcast idea. I mean, some of the people who've been in the business the longest really started out because they love it and they must still love it. I mean, there's one particular podcaster who's incredibly popular, supposedly just got hundreds of millions of dollars to switch his network and it's like, he has no reason to keep podcasting other than he loves it, right? I mean, if he didn't love what he was doing, there's just no reason he's, there's how many more cars can he add to his collection? <laughs> so I agree 100%. The love of, the, of doing it is gotta be the main force. And yeah. And so where can people find more information about your podcast and more information and the podcast. So absolutely. So I mean, assuming since I'm talking on a podcast right now, if you're listening to this podcast at whatever you're listening to this podcast on, I guarantee you, if you search Vanishing Postcards, you'll be able to find it. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, you're going to be able to find Vanishing Postcards. Um, but if you're interested in seeing pictures and some companion information, um, please check out our Instagram account. Um, you can search Vanishing Postcards. Our handle is Vanishing underscore Postcards. Um, and um, all, we also do have a website, which is vanishingpostcards.com. All right. That's an easy one. That's a really easy one. And if you want to see us talking instead of just listening to us, this is on YouTube, but I know most of the people will be listening to it on all of the regular podcast places. So listen, it's really been great having you on the show. This has been, this has been nice. This uh, has been a great me, conversation. The, the honor has been mine. Thank you so much for your interest. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And you've been listening to, were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht and my guest today, today has been Evan Stern, who has his own podcast. Oh no, I forgot the name, Vanishing Postcards. Looking at my notes, cheat, cheat, cheat. Vanishing Postcards, an excellent podcast. It, it's a journey right now through Texas and places that might disappear soon. Really worth listening to. It's the opposite of what you've just heard. It's edited and stuff. All right. Thanks for listening. And as I always say, be good to each other and be good to yourselves. <laughs>